Thank you again for joining us via podcast at Canvas Church here in Birmingham, Alabama. We pray you are blessed by this message. And for more information, please visit canvasbhm.com. I know fasting, people feel like they're wasting away um, if it's for more than three days, but um, there's great power in that. And we're, we, last Wednesday, we started the second part. As Randall said, uh, the Lord gave us a model last year. The first seven days, all we wanted to do, spend time in adoration, just spend time worshiping God. The seven second, the seven second seven days, so now, um, I felt the Lord call us to consecration, and that's fasting, that's pulling away, and I'm going to speak about that today, and then this coming Wednesday, leading up to our time of declaration, we're going to enter into a time of petition, and so I feel like we adore the Lord first, we consecrate and set our, our hearts and our lives aside, and then in that last seven days, it'll culminate, I want you to be here, and I want you to be here on Wednesday nights, we're having a powerful time, last Wednesday night on the fourth floor, the Spirit of the Lord is showing up, and it's, we can really bear one another's burdens, we can hear what God's saying for the church, and so excited about that. So, jumping right in, when I say consecration, what in the world am I talking about? I'll tell you what this means for me. Consecration, and I wrote this out, is anything that facilitates he must increase and I must decrease. Anything that I do that facilitates him increasing and me decreasing, that's how I see consecration. Last week, talking about fasting, I reminded you guys that the word says that our flesh hates our spirit. Anybody ever been at war? right? Between your flesh and your spirit. Listen to uh, Galatians 5.17 from the Living Bible. I love this. It says, for we naturally love to do evil things that are just the opposite from the things the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And the good things we want to do when the Spirit has his way with us are just the opposite of our natural desires. These two forces within us are constantly fighting each other to win control. And then this last part really hit me. And our wishes are never free from their pressures. In other words, your flesh is always going to fight what your spirit wants. I heard somebody say this this way one time. He says, what the spirit desires, the flesh and the the, the body and the soul have to pay for. (laughs) In other words, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you, there's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be some consecration. No matter what day it is that I wake up, every day I wake up, I got skin on. Anybody like me? And my skin so does not, my flesh so does not want to do what the Lord wants me to do. Romans 7, 18 from the Passion Translation says this, for I know that nothing good lives within my flesh, the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longing to do what is right are within me, but the willpower is not enough to accomplish. In other words, I've got the right to do right, but I just don't have the ability, right? You ever had the right, right to remain silent, but you didn't have the ability? <laughs> That's a problem with John many times. But Paul goes on in Romans 7. And he talks about this incredible war. He says, I find that there's this war going on the inside of me. And he says, I want to do good. And the good which I want to do, I can't do. And he says, the evil that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he says, he makes this statement. He says, I find this war, this war between me and what my spirit wants. And then he makes this statement. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, 
who can deliver me from this body of death? But he doesn't leave it there. He says, but I thank God through Christ Jesus. He says, with my mind, I'm going to serve God. He says, with my body, I'm, I'm serving the flesh. And then he says, but it doesn't stop there. Romans, it rolls right into Romans 8.1. He's talking about this, this, this dichotomy. He says, but therefore, there's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And so he says, yeah, I got this war going on and I got this stuff I'm dealing with. He said, but that's not going to be the winner ultimately. He says, the law of the spirit of life, and that's what every single one of us have received, has redeemed us from the law of sin and the law of death. All right, concerning or considering consecration, I want to read a quote from an article I wrote for a publication in the Bible app, and, and I'll just let it speak for itself. We live in a time where almost anything is instantaneously accessible with a few clicks. For all of the advancements we've made in technology that supposedly make life easier, with the vast amount of knowledge at our fingertips, people seem to have far less margin in their lives for what truly matters. Know thyself. Socrates enlightens us in the Phaedrus that any attempt, any attempt to gain wisdom and knowledge prior to self-awareness is meaningless. The truth is none of us can be fully self-aware because like it or not, we all have blind spots. If we want to heed Socrates' wisdom, we're going to need some outside help. David knew God. David loved God. But David also knew that he had blind spots. Listen to the wording of the message version of Psalm 139.23. Listen to this. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me to get a clear picture of what I'm about. Let's read that again. Investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me to get a clear picture of what I'm about. The laws of our land give us freedom from unlawful search and seizure, so much so that a warrant has to be issued for an invasion of our property. However, for those of us who are believers, 1 Corinthians 6.20 informs us that we are no longer our own. We are bought with a price, purchased with the priceless blood of Jesus. He now has full right to search every single corner of my heart and my mind. The amazing thing is, here's the good news. He's not looking for dirt. <laughs> Let me say that again. He is not looking for dirt. He took care of that by his blood on the cross. In one instant, he washed us clean and made us holy before the Father. Instead of dirt, he's looking for anything that might hinder us from accepting the full measure of his healing grace. That's what he's looking. That's what he wants. The key consideration, as I alluded to in Psalm 139.23, is, is that the consecrated person wants God to search him. That's what it means. It's like, God, would, would you, man, show me my blind spots. The moment we believe that we don't have blind spots is the moment we set ourselves up to be blindsided. Anybody see the blind side? 
Anybody understand why NFL tackles, left tackles, are so valuable and get paid so much? Because they're watching for the most, most quarterbacks, right-handed quarterback. They're watching because he's not looking. But the second John says, you don't have any blind spots, man. You're good. I'm solid, right? Then I'm setting myself up to be blindsided, all right? Because I, I at least, we, I believe, need people in our lives to help, help us inspect, all right? Romans 1, 5, and 6, let's, listen to this. It says, you've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Well, what in the world is apostleship? We know what grace is, okay? But apostleship, this is John's definition. Apostleship is that collection of godly voices in my life to which I submit my wisdom deficit and my sin struggles, all right? And the thing is, wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors. So the consecrated life is somebody saying, do you see something in me that I don't, right? Do you see, are, are you seeing something? Because I, I'm open enough to say, I can drop my pride enough to say, hey, I need help. I heard, I heard um, Derek Prince say this. He said, pride may be the only sin that Satan will not condemn you for. If you blow it in lust, he's going to beat you up, right? You blow it in anger maybe with your children or one, your spouse or whatever. He will come and hit you after that. But he's never going to come to you and say, hey, John, you got a little too much pride, right? right? Why? Because that's the original sin, isn't it? It says pride goeth for before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And so the people, the very people are saying, I'm solid, I'm good. I, I don't need this. Ow, be careful. Be careful, Amen. I, I need it. I, I'm surrounded by voices in my life, financial voices, wisdom voices, church leadership voices. Pete, the biggest voice is right here on the front row. The most demure, soft-spoken <laughs> voice in my life. No, but the truth is she has the most right what to speak in my life. Why? Because she knows me best, right? And she can call me out. Don't, men, don't you love that? God put your, one of the reasons he put your wife in your life is to call the stuff out in you that, that really doesn't line up with his nature. Somebody's elbowing their husband right now. <laughs> Next, consecration. Everybody's loving this message, all right? The truth is, whether we're aware, aware, aware of it or not, it's not just something we need to do. We have an obligation to consecration. What do you mean by that? 2 Corinthians 5, 14, watch this, 15. It says, is the love of God, watch this, for the love of God compels us. Your King James might say constrains us because we judge this, that one died for all, then all died. This word constrained or, or compelled, it, it literally means to be pressed upon on all sides to be tightly confined. It means to be tightly bound and wrapped up. Love has bound us up so tightly that we can't run away from him, that we don't want to run away from him. When a person is in love, there's this strong sense of inseparability. I'm going to take you all way back when I was in, in getting my master's program at the University of Georgia, and we didn't have cell phones. Anybody here under 30? <laughs> we didn't have cell phones. And so we had probably a nightly, probably twice a nightly call. I had to go down to a convenience store, right? And there was a pay phone. Does anybody remember what a pay phone is, right? Yeah. 
But it didn't matter if it was pouring rain. It didn't matter if it was cold outside. It didn't matter if I was going to have money for Taco Bell that night or I was going to take that dollar and 75 cents and I was going to call Cleveland, Tennessee. Why? Because there was this compelling. I didn't want to not hear her voice. You understand? She didn't want to not be with me. And so it was like, we got to talk, right? That idea... The love of God is constraining me. It's keeping me connected. It's keeping me close. It's keeping me in dialogue. We're bound to him by love. Listen, consecration is based on the Lord's love, but it's also based on the Lord's right. What do you mean, John? Go back to that 1 Corinthians passage I mentioned in in the article I did. You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. You've been purchased. You don't have a say-so for what you do in this body if you've received Christ. Your flesh will want to, right? But you really don't have a say-so. He says, I've redeemed you, not with the blood of bull and goats. He said, I've redeemed you, one sacrifice, one man for all. I've redeemed you with the precious spotless blood of the lamb. And the, the Bible talks, the word redeemed literally means to be pulled off of the auction block. All of us were on the auction block of slavery. And he redeemed us. And he bought us back. And he didn't just make us servants. And he didn't just make us slaves. He made us sons and daughters. And he said, I've bought you. I've got you. So there's this obligation of consecration. And here's what I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, son, consecration is not a favor you're doing for me. Consecration is an expectation. How do I know that? Because Romans 12, 1 says this. I'm begging you, brothers by the mercies of God to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to him not acceptable to me which is your what? your reasonable your acceptable your reasonable service in other words he said look this is the minimum that you do this is the minimum you do All right, he says, John, you're bought with a price. I'm expecting you, he says, a living sacrifice. That's not not a flowery word there. The Greek word there is thusian, S-T-H-U-S-I-A-N. That literally means to be put up on the altar and burnt. That sounds fun, right? (laughs) All the the consecration, everybody's loving to die daily. Feels real good. Not at all. What does it look like? I'm going to give you a practical picture of what consecration looks like. It is a separation from something to connect with something, all right? So it's a separating from to a connecting with. A great picture of this is found in the story of Moses in Exodus 33. In the context of this passage, God is like so fed up with the children of Israel. They've rebelled. They've, he, he's, he's made atonement. They've rebelled. They've been hard-headed. They've been stiff, stiff-necked. Anybody other than me ever done that? I see myself way too many times in the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 10, verse 11, it says, the things that happened to them, talking about the children of Israel, were given to us as warnings and examples to whom the fulfillment of all the ages has come. In other words, when you see God dealing corporately with Israel, all he's saying is, look, you're the same way. That nature is still wrapped up even in new believers. It's just the, the new man is alive, but the old man still tries to, to raise his hand all the time. Okay, Exodus 33.1, check this out. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart, get up from here. 
you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. I think that's kind of funny right there. Who delivered them? God delivered them. But I think God's like, they're not my people anymore. Any parents ever had a child acting up and say, your child is acting like a fool. I've got three. They're all in their 20s now. I have had that happen. You need to do something about your son. God's like, you need to fix. I'm not going to go with the people that you delivered, Moses. I think there's a little bit of, little bit of sarcasm there, but just personally. He says, at the land of Egypt, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I'll give it. Here's what God says. God's going to make a deal. He says, I'll send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But then watch this verse. For the rest of that verse, he says, but I will not go with you in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you're a stiff-necked people. God's like, I'm so mad with these people right now. If I go with you, I'm going to take out all of them, right? Your father's going to deal with you when he gets home, right? Verse 4, and check this out. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on their ornaments. Verse 5, for the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. Man, God's really mad. Check this out. I could come in the midst of you in one moment, and I could consume you, Right, he could just do the Thanos thing, right? Any Marvel folk, and he could just, bam. He says, I could wipe all of you out just one second. He says, take off your ornaments, ornaments representing Egypt and, and all of that, that I may know what to do with you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Now Moses, now here's what Moses does. Talk about consecration, practical. Moses took his tent, and he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went into the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses till he'd gone to the tabernacle. Verse 9, it came to pass when Moses entered that tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. The Lord talked with Moses. Verse 7, it says, Moses took his tent and he pitched it outside the camp, and he called it the temple of meeting, or the, the place of meeting. The Talmud, because I wondered how far did Moses pitch it, the Talmud says he put it about 3,000 feet, or imagine, Alabama-Auburn fans, 10 football fields away. Okay, so he puts his tent like 10 football fields away from everybody else. What is this? This is a picture of pulling away, separating from something, and connecting with something. Moses says, I got to leave these people. God's upset with them. I don't know what to do with them. He might very well wipe them out. And so Moses has to hear from God in this season. He says, I'm leaving this, and I'm going out here. He pulled away from distractions. Now, what was in that camp that Moses was leaving? His family. They didn't go with him. The familiar, comfort, traditions, the opinions of other people. Not only did he pull away, but verse 7 says also, he named the place where he was putting his tent. And man, that hit me. Moses says, I'm going to name a place where I'm going to meet God. My question to you, this idea of consecration, is do you have a designated place that you go to meet God? Do you have a designated place, a place that you carve out? It, it might be an actual 
geographic space. It might be a space of time. It might be a block in your calendar, not just for these 21 days, but going into 2020, right? Anybody want 2020 to be better than 2019, all right? Listen, well, to do what you've never done, you got to get what you've never gotten. You've got to do what you've never done. But Moses says, I'm naming a place that I'm going to meet God. That's what consecration is. It's like, I'm going to get away from the distractions. Forrest Walker gave me a book. It says, what got you here won't get you there. And it's a leadership book. It's phenomenal. But basically it says, what brought you to this place is not going to get you to the next place. Back on November 7th, I was praying and I felt in my spirit, not an audible voice, but I felt the Lord say, you're going to have to take a quantum leap forward. Because what you've done thus far at Canvas is not going to sustain you for the future. A lot of things happening, a lot of good changes, a lot of things happening. But it's not going to sustain you. But this idea of going outside the camp, that's not just an Old Testament thing. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, 12 through 15. Writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Now look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the what? Outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Therefore, let's continue to offer the sacrifice to praise of God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. In other words, the right of Hebrews saying, listen, Sometimes you're going to have to leave the camp. What's the camp? The camp of what you've been doing. Getting the same results, right? The old definition of insanity. Keep doing the same results and expecting something. Keep doing the same thing. And expecting different results is insanity, right? Too many times we do that with God, right? Back to that Syrophoenician one we talked about during worship. What she was doing was getting her nowhere. This dialogue. This dialogue, my, my daughter needs healing. My daughter needs healing. My daughter needs healing. I'm sorry. And the, the disciples say, Jesus, we've asked her to leave. She's really getting on our nerves. She's been to Thaddeus. She's been to Thomas. She's been to James. And, and now she's getting to you, Jesus. We tried to shield you from it. And then Jesus starts dialoguing with her. He says, I wasn't sent to you. I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then the woman does something she hadn't done before. <laughs> she falls down at his feet. Ah. Uh, You know Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen the whole time. He was waiting for the woman to have that epiphany. Listen, we got to have an epiphany. We got to come outside the camp. We got to come outside of some of the things we've been doing. We got to break some relationships. We got to cut ties with that which is not working. Right? We got to stop going some places that we have been going. We got to stop doing some things. You, listen, if not, you, if you try to hang on to the past while reaching for the future, the best thing you're going to do is spin your wheels in today. Right? And a lot of people are spinning their wheels trying to hold on to that thing that was then and reaching for that thing that God says is yours. You got to cut it. Amen. Amen. Woo. The wonderful thing is that the fruit of consecration is a life that's going to be experiencing the full manifestation of God's intimacy, of God's direction, of God's favor, of God's blessing, of God's purpose. Listen, listen to this. Somebody said this to me one time. It's so powerful. God doesn't have favorites, but God's got intimates. 
And God is not a respecter of persons, but God is a respecter of worship. He really is. He wants those, God, it's got something about Jesus. He likes being around the people that like to be with him. And in his day, sadly, the people who should have really liked being around him thought they already knew it all. <laughs> right? But the people who like to hang with him are the broken ones, prostitutes, alcoholics, rabble-rousers, people who are anti-establishment. And Jesus is like, I kind of like you guys. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm just going to hang out with you, you uh, Matthew. Because we'd be like, you crooked, IRS, cheating, da-da-da-da-da. Jesus is like, I like this guy. I like so much. Dude, let's have, let's have dinner tonight. Great litmus test of your walk is how many just what, what society would say, unregenerate people, ungodly people do you hang with? Right? How many bad people do you hang with? Oh, John, but be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Listen, if you're hanging out with love in your heart and love is the assignment, come on. Because we have, we have this holy huddle mentality, don't we? We love everybody in church that looks like us and acts like us and wears a nice, nice shirt, nice vest, and, right? And got the, we like people who look like us, right? Jesus is like, who are you hanging with? Hallelujah. Let's get outside the camp. Oh, goodness. All right. There are examples and portraits all throughout Scripture of people who left things to get something, who left to receive. Abraham had to leave his family, right? It was a picture and a portrait of cutting away the flesh. God then tells him, I'm going to be your exceeding and great reward. Abraham, then after he did that, there was another level of consecration. In, in Genesis 22, he says, hey, Abe, I want you to offer that kid I gave you, Isaac, on, on the altar. What's really interesting about Genesis 22, Genesis 22 is the very first time where the words worship, obey, and love all occur in Scripture. Very first time in the Bible. What does that mean? The very first time sacrifice is mentioned in the Bible, it's like for real sacrifice. The very first time worship is mentioned, it's in the context of killing your flesh. Worship is not a slow song. <laughs> we got praise music, we got worship music, we think. But worship is not a slow A piece of you, the very first time Isaac tells his servants, he says, you stay here with the lad. He said, no, you stay here with the, the animals. The lad and I are going up yonder to worship on Mount Moriah. What was he going up to do on Mount Moriah? He was going up to kill his son. Right? Listen, something has to die when we go worship. Something has to die. Something in me has to die. The very thing I try to hold on to is the very thing God say, hey, buddy, would you please lay that up here? Right? Something, and then, then obey. God tells Abraham, he says, because you have obeyed me now fully, he says, I know that you serve me. Love, obey, and worship. <clears throat> Moses had to circumcise, this is weird, not really. Um, <laughs> Moses had to circumcise himself and his sons before he could go deliver Israel. Now, why would he do that? Something had to be cut away. Something had to be consecrated. Joseph had to be separated from his brothers and his family long before he was ever named prime minister. Gideon had to cut, I went back and read that story again this week. Gideon had to cut away 20,000 men 
before he was ready to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Just this cutting away, just this consecration. Scores and other pictures of consecration. I'm going to close with this. I thought I'd get to fasting. Maybe I'll touch on it next week. If we will step into a place of consecration, it literally has the power to shift you into a brand new season. Anybody want a new season with God? I do. I want you to look at the very last thing God instructs Joshua to do. I've preached on this before. But go to Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses uh, 2 and 3 and then 8 through 12. All right. It says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and he circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. How many of you know that's not a pretty picture? How many of you know about one million, million and a half guys had to have a circumcision? Come on, let's just be real. That's exactly what happened, right? I mean, if, if I'm studying Sun Tzu, the art of war, all right, and I'm putting my battle strategy together, and I got the guys, their M16s are loaded up, right? I got the clay mortars, you know, and I got all of that. I don't have military guys here. I'm probably talking out of school. But if I'm getting ready to go, and I'm getting ready to take this hill or take this valley, I don't think my first order of business would be, hey, guys, look, before we take that hill tomorrow, I need all of you to circumcise yourself. (laughs) What? (laughs) Makes absolutely from a strategic military, strategic front, that sounds like lunacy. But God says, no, you're getting ready to go into to fight Jericho. You're getting ready to go take the land of promise. So the very first thing, here it is. He says, I want you to have a successful transition. But in order to have a, a successful transition, you got to give me a level of consecration. Right? Cutting away. But the next thing I see, just as important, just as important. Listen, they took time to heal. Look at verse 8. So it was... When they had all finished, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were what? Healed. One of the quickest ways to halt your development in stepping in the fullness of your next season is before you get out before you're healed. We got a lot of people that don't want healing. They, they feel good and they feel, they feel important when they're serving God, right? When they're doing instead of being human beings. And so we have a lot of people that won't get healing with ministries like Sozo right there, all right? Or ministries like inner healing or prayer counseling or whatever. I have been one, right? Because John lived for so long with performance-based acceptance, right? I do good for Jesus, Jesus loves me, right? Do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Anybody live their life, live their life like that? And so I'm operating in this place of incredible brokenness on the inside of me, right? And I can put on the Jesus mask and look good to everybody, but nobody knew that I'd been molested and, and nobody knew that I was struggling for years and years with pornography and, and promiscuity and all this kind of stuff, right? And I wasn't, I wasn't a pastor then, but I, I was doing ministry things and it felt real good when somebody said, you did an awesome solo on that song. I was like, oh man, Jesus loves me, right? I'm doing good now, right? I got my gold star today, right? But the truth was, 
I'm operating from this place of incredible brokenness and I didn't have a forum safe enough to come to somebody and say, did you know that I really need healing right now on the inside of me? Do you know how incredibly broken this guy is, right? And until we get to that place, right? Great strength is found in our, Jesus made, made this, he said, or Paul said, your strength is made perfect in your weakness. But John would put on the Jesus mask, right? And I speak Jesus ease. We all speak good Jesus ease in church, don't we? Right? How you doing, brother? Right? We do shake. I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Praise God. Well, everybody's doing great in church. <laughs> nobody's, got any, <laughs> nobody's got any problems. The place is, man, he says, listen, confess your stuff to one another, right? And pray for one another. Bear ye one another's burdens, be kind to one another, forgiving to one another. Everything happens in the context of a vibrant, living, healing kind of biosphere, right? And the church, I, I really believe, I believe this with every, everything in me, if you've been around here, I believe this church is one of the safest places I've ever been in. I believe just as you are, just as I am, right? You can come in here and nobody, nobody has stones to throw. I'm deviating do y'all remember that message I preached about three or four years ago? And I was preaching on, you can't clean fish before you catch them. And I had hidden behind the pulpit, I wish I had it today. I had a big old halibut that I'd picked up from one of the stores, halibut or something, and it wasn't cleaned yet. And at the end of service, I grabbed that thing out of the cooler in the ice, and I gave a million-dollar challenge. I said, I give a million dollars to anybody who can clean this before they catch it. Let me throw it to you. Sadly, that's what we want the church to be, right? Come in here clean. Look good. Look right. Have your stuff together. And then maybe we will put you on serve team. No, no, no. Listen, God's looking for broken, bruised people. But broken and bruised people have to, Socrates, they have to know themselves. Man, I need help. And, and the thing I found out, if I won't say uncle... I think God sometimes just has a way of letting life make us say uncle. Life ever made anybody say uncle in here? Wow, that sounds fun. Everybody's loving this. <laughs> the dead weight of your baggage, the dead weight of your stuff. We can't move forward effectively in new relationships and new business ventures and new, new work environments because I have not been healed yet and the Lord spoke this to me very clearly he said some people have gone through a storm I stilled the storm but the storm is still in them I spoke peace to the storm but the storm that you went through is still going on on the inside of you it might have been a family situation it might have been an abusive situation in my case it might have been something but God says I want to speak peace not just to the storm I want to speak peace to my children Right? And then you can speak peace to other storms. Jesus was showing them a principle. The natural thing was easy. The natural thing was easy. Right? Speaking, speaking peace to that storm. But man, when, when the disciples asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Jesus says, that's 70 times 7 in the same day. They say, Jesus, increase our faith. Increase our... Watch this. They had watched him feed the 5,000. They'd watched him raise the dead. They'd watched him cleanse the lepers. Maybe it takes more faith 
to forgive and release someone than it does to raise the dead. Because they never ever asked him one time when he was doing all the miracles, increase our faith so that we can do that. Maybe it takes more. And there are storms of woundedness. There are storms of brokenness. There are storms of pain. He wants to say, peace be still too. He wants to say, peace be still to people. Amen. Amen. After the healing, watch what God does. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Verse 10. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at the twilight on the plains of Jericho. And here it is. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover of unleavened bread, parched grain, the very same day. Then the manna ceased. Watch this. Big principle. I'm closing this. The manna ceased after they had eaten the produce of the land. The children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Understand the magnitude of that verse. One day. After consecration, one season after healing, new consecration brought new territory. It brought new provision. It brought a new way of living. Suddenly, they got to step into what God had promised years and years and years and years before. Moses... Did ne- never did get to step into the land of promise because he still didn't have that consecration thing fully down. Isn't that interesting? He gets to see it, but he doesn't get to step into it. But after consecration, I believe that in 2020, God wants to give you and give me and give this church and give this body of believers, give this city some new re- revelation, some new provision. Anybody need new provision in your life? Seriously. All right, stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. And if you'd come up and just play softly. Hear me. This is not a... uh, This is not a checklist for God, for your life, that he's waiting to bless you. That's not what this is. This is is the backdrop of when God tells people, he says, they shall find me when they seek me with all their hearts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. He says, seek me and you will find me. Seek me and you will find me. During these, these last few days of this time of consecration and maybe you're fasting starting at day one, whatever the Lord led you to do, I just believe God wants to meet some folks today. I believe God wants to, to strengthen the cord. To strengthen the cord. And there might be some cutting away. There might be some setting aside. There might be some, uh, some things that you need to do different. But the ultimate goal is God wants to give you new provision. He wants to give you a new way of doing life. With eyes closed right now, nobody's going to be embarrassed. You'd say, hey, hey, John, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. 
I'm not consecrated. I haven't consecrated. Maybe it's time for me to do that again. I need God. Eyes closed right now. Would you raise your hand? Nobody's going to embarrass you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Maybe you need healing right now in your body. Maybe you've got a relationship issue that it's going to take you doing some things different. Maybe it's family. I know we just got through the holidays. I know how painful family can be at times. But if you have a need, I want prayer team now. Come on up, if you will. If you have a need, I want you to come up here. If, if you'd like a more quiet place, we've got a room next door. Folks can meet you over there and pray with you as well. I want you to come up if you need prayer of any kind anyway. Lisa and I will be happy to pray for you. If you need to go, I want to bless you before you go. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace right now. And may, may right now just feel very strongly. May, be, may God give you the grace that you need to do this. May God give you special grace right now to pick up where you left off with him. It's not too late. God exists in eternity. There is no timetable. God's like, I'm still waiting. That place, that, that designated place like Moses made. Maybe he says, come on back. Let's, let's pick this back up where we left off. In Jesus' name, if you need prayer, come up. Feel free.